1: Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a National Association member, FDIC. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I'll Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
2: Oh, this is going to make me hungry.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's very rare that we do episodes on this show that uh, have cravings attached right. to them.
2: I'm going to need some pancakes now that we've been talking about them. I could go for pancakes. I haven't had pancakes <gasps> in forever. We need to go to the Pancake Social right near us.
1: There is a pancake restaurant in here. I've never been to it. Not a sponsor, just yeah, it's located near us. <laughs> on lists. List, A list, <laughs> you say. <laughs> well, then we must go. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to persevere through this first. Yes, yes. Here and we go. Uh, I wanted to talk. I wanted to ask you. Are you a cook, Samantha?
2: Well, I am a box or an instructions kind of cooker. Uh-huh. So essentially if you hand me tell something and tell me to do it this way, then I'm like, cool, let me do that. Mm-hmm. But I'm also one of those worriers when it comes to cooking. Oh, yeah. So I will overcook almost everything. Oh, really? Yes, because I don't want to die or have some kind of body malfunctions. That's a good way to put it. Um, because of my dinner, or, or I don't want anyone else mm. to experience that. So, mm-hmm. chicken is always going to be a little more cooked than not. Mm. Um, fish, yeah, probably a little more cooked than not. Now, steak, I'm pretty good with. Mm-hmm. But if it's like ground beef, ground truck, ground turkey, yeah, I'm going to probably overcook that quite a bit. But I'm going to add a lot of spices to it. Okay. Um, I'm pretty good at when it comes to baking because you have to follow those instructions. There's no real way to like navigate away from that without making it a complete disaster
1: unless you are trained or have a good, right, sense. a good sense
2: but even with baking like you have to have a certain amount of liquid to go with the sure. you know all of the dry uh-huh. or you're going to have something really bad if you have expired things which i figured out like baking powder or baking soda mm-hmm. any know that it messes up things as well so yeah. that i've kind of figured out mm-hmm. but i'm also one of those that oh i did it and then i try again and i've Screw it up <laughs> yeah. somehow. Like it turned out so well last time, and no one believes me. It's the humidity. Ugh.
1: I always blame the humidity. Is that what it is? Yes. Uh,
2: I but, love cooking. I'm the opposite of you, right? You make full-on festive meals. I <laughs> do those out of boxes once again. Like everything comes out of a macaroni and cheese box or um, canned veggies that I'm gonna reheat somehow. Yeah, yeah, I, I
1: love it. I don't necessarily love the obligation of it. It was something I struggled with for a while when I was like, I'm a feminist now. Should I cook for other people? The answer is yes. Yeah. But it's fine. Yeah, if you course. like to do it, then yeah. Um, but I I am... I'm risky, perhaps, with my behavior cooking. I don't overcook. I'll, I'll be on the edge no, of no. Yes, yeah, so that's that's an interesting. So that means I'm not
2: going to eat at your house <laughs> no, uh, if other people come. Okay, then I won't risk your health. You're not going to be one of those that's like, look, chicken medium well or medium. I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you? You're gonna die. I won't uh, impose my behavior upon you
1: yes. or any of my uncooked.
2: Food. But you know, my first experience, and maybe that's this is why I like like boxed things is from my. Uh, uh, easy bake oven all you do is add water and then you stick it into the light bulb oh, I wanted an easy bake oven so badly
1: and I got it as a gift when I was 7 like, way too old for it <laughs> I haven't asked for this, this in last years year? <laughs> so I just got it and kind of put it away and donated it um, Look, I love those sugary paper tasting cookies so much <laughs> well, I was very jealous of you I didn't know you, but <laughs> I, I used to, um, in my French class, we had a day where everyone would bring in desserts, and at the time, I wasn't that into cooking, and I would bring in a Duncan Hines uh, brownie mix, brownie box mix, every year, and people loved it, and they would always ask me the recipe, and I would act all coy, oh, it's a secret recipe, uh, as far as I know, no one ever
2: figured it out. Oh, you are a commercial Well, that's what they do in commercials. Is it? Yeah, it's a family recipe, and then you took a look around, and it's like a box of something, yeah.
1: People were so, they wanted it so badly. (laughs) I even had one of my schoolmate's mom ask me for it. Well, you know, a little (laughs) of this, a little of that. But we're not talking about Duncan Hines today, who is a real person. We're talking about some famous female faces on food products.
2: Which is one big famous box product. What? Betty Crocker. She has all those box products.
1: Yes, exactly. Betty Crocker, Aunt Jemima, and Mrs. Butterworth, briefly. Um, and since this is a time of a lot of cooking for many of us, we thought it would be timely, maybe.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I will be bringing some kind of dessert to my Friendsgiving, Friends Christmas thing for their Friends, meal. Friends Christmas. Yes, Feastmas. Oh, I like That's that. That's what they named it because we also do like a like little whatever white elephant thing. Oh, sure. Dirty sure, sure. Santa. Mm-hmm. Dirty Santa. Isn't that what it's called? I think that might be a different thing. Maybe no. not. I think this. Someone's going to tell me something else. Don't send me anything. <laughs> Don't send me pictures. <laughs> Don't send any
1: Dirty Santa pictures, please. It uh, is well, Santa Con as for you as we record well, this. Unless,
2: you know, it's really good.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who has to deal with the impacts. Don't do it. And, and I just want to say, uh, before we get into this, that uh, when I was researching it, I got a ton of results, like the top five sexiest food icons. This made me think, why does the green M&M have to be sexy? Because
2: the legend does that if you're eating it, it's going to make you horny.
1: The green M&M? Yes, specifically. Like always,
2: I grew up knowing this, and we were all felt a little naughty. We'd save the green for last. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it worked, though.
1: I would be shocked if it did. <laughs> I have never heard this.
2: Wow. I, we knew this growing up.
1: The green M&M. The things you know when you're a kid.
2: The things you believe. Mm, and yeah. think you're so witty when you're a kid. <laughs> and then the red M&Ms were poison. Oh, no, I didn't hear that. That's, the I brown know. M&Ms are like, Whatever. Yeah, but then, I liked like the blue ones. Oh, of course, mm-hmm. I actually really like the yellow ones.
1: This is a real journalistic.
2: Yes. <laughs> deep dive. <for> <laughs> Keep in. going now.
1: Okay, so let's talk about Betty Crocker. Let's. There's a fascinating history here. Until she was dethroned by flow of the insurance. What what insurance is that?
2: Progressive. Progressive. Progressive has like ten okay. representatives, and and one of them is that and.
1: Okay, so flow. Betty Crocker was the most famous fictional female in the U.S., according to Adweek. A 2015 New York Daily News article listed her alongside Barbie, Santa Claus, and Uncle Sam as one of the world's most influential fictional figures. Wow. Over 200 grocery products carry her name. These days, Betty Crocker graces many boxes of cake mix, and canned icing, but she used to be someone women could contact for cooking advice. Dear Betty Crocker, my cake won't rise, dear Betty Crocker, what's the secret to fluffy pancakes? Dear Betty Crocker, I need a good pie recipe. Betty Crocker not only provided the answers to cooking questions like these, she was also a proponent of trying new things in the kitchen, and she would be there as a safety net if something went
2: wrong. But now for the important question. Is she a real person? And the answer is nope. The Washburn Crosby Company, a flour milling company which would go on to become General Mills, developed the character of Betty Crocker as a part of an advertising campaign. So Washburn Crosby got started in 1880, entered the international milling competition with their new flour, and they won the gold medal. They were so thrilled that they changed the name of their product to Gold Medal Flour, which still exists, and the number one selling brand of flour to this day. Yeah. In 1921, the company
1: decided to run an ad for gold metal flower in the Saturday Evening Post. The ad consisted of a jigsaw puzzle of a small town square, and the prize for correctly solving the puzzle and sending it in was a gold metal flower-shaped pincushion, which I actually would really like myself, even though I don't sew. Wait, is it like a shape of the actual bag, yeah, of, like flour? The bag of flour. Okay, okay. Uh-huh. Over 30,000 people sent completed puzzles to Washburn and Crosby, and a lot of them included baking questions to the company's surprise. The smallish advertising department composed entirely of men and led by Samuel Gale had dealt with customer questions and complaints previously. They would direct these questions to the women who worked at the gold medal home service staff. However, Gale wasn't a fan of using his name when he signed off on this advice. He suspected the customers would rather get advice from a woman who, of course, did most of the cooking in the home at the time, gender norms being what they were. The very fact that these men consulted women before answering questions reinforces that, um, that whole thing, that whole idea, and most people writing in were women.
2: The amount of questions the company received as a part of the contest really emphasized the need for a woman to answer these questions, so a woman people would trust. So they invented a fictional woman to fill their needs. Betty Crocker. Her last name was actually borrowed from William G. Crocker, who at the time had just retired as the director of Washburn Crosby. The first name was chosen because it sounded all American, both cheery and unthreatening. With the name decided upon, they needed a signature. A female employees were called upon to submit their ideas. The winning signature was Secretary Florence Lindbergh's. So any letter answering a customer's question would be signed Betty Crocker, quote unquote. People were even trained to match the signature. Such was the demand for Betty Crocker. The company created the Betty Crocker Kitchens, cooking schools that They sponsored throughout the country. Women who worked in the home ec department at the company who were involved in answering mail addressed to Betty were called the Croquettes. The Croquettes. Which is really kind of gross sounding. I don't (laughs) know why.
1: (laughs) For three years, Betty Crocker existed primarily in written format or in name at these schools. That changed in 1924 when she debuted on Washburn Crosby's new radio cooking show on Minneapolis's WCCO, which stood for Washburn Crosby Company, This was a station they saved, the company saved from bankruptcy. The show was called Betty Crocker Cooking School of the Air. Graduates of the on-air school sent in reports to be graded by Betty Crocker. That first year, there were 238 graduates. The show was written and hosted by home economist Marjorie Child Husted. The show pretty quickly went nationwide after that, and each region had their own Betty Crocker voice. The scripts were written at the company's national headquarters. It had featured prominent guests like Joan Crawford and Cary Grant. In 1927, the radio show became a part of the new NBC network, where it would remain for 24 years. Over a million listeners enrolled into the on-air cooking show over that time.
2: So when Husted was later asked about the whole thing, she said, it is very interesting to me to look back now and realize how concerned I was about the welfare of women as homemakers and their feelings of self-respect. Women needed a champion. Here were millions of them staying at home alone, doing a job with children, cooking, cleaning on minimal budgets. The whole depressing mess of it. They needed someone to remind them that they had value.
1: Very oh, smart. Yeah. The first grocery item bearing Betty Crocker's name... Was a soup mix in 1941. The cake mix appeared a few years later in 1947, and then in 1950, Betty Crocker's Picture Cookbook hit the shelves. It sold two million copies in its first two years and has sold over 60 million copies since, and it's still available under the name The Betty Crocker Cookbook.
2: My parents have that.
1: Do they really? Mm-hmm. Uh, it is sometimes referred to as the Kitchen Bible or Big Red. Recipes complete with pictures, that was a new thing. That was very exciting at the time. It was another way to make cooking less intimidating. In 1945, Fortune magazine named her the second most popular woman in the United States behind Eleanor Roosevelt. They also outed her as a fraud. That She wasn't a real person, Ooh. but nobody seemed to care. Nope. Uh, And this whole thing led to her nickname, the First Lady of Food. Surveys from this time period found that nine out of ten women were familiar with Betty Crocker. She was getting about 5,000 letters a day. Uh, According to Susan Marks in her book, Finding Betty Crocker, The Secret Life of America's First Lady of Food, people who visited the headquarters to find out Betty Crocker wasn't real often started crying, and the company even kept tissues at hand for this. Oh wow. Yeah. I guess that's really heartbreaking. And I think we forget too, there was no internet at this time. Yeah. Um, you were really dependent on either people you knew in your life teaching you or sharing their recipes with you or recipe books. And if you're trying to mix things up, especially on a budget, which women were pretty judged for at that time, right. how fancy of a thing can you make this cheap thing? That's why we got things like aspics. Mm-hmm. Um That is a lot of stress, and I'm sure it was very comforting to have someone you could call and who would just be someone you could talk to about it. At the behest of the U.S. Office of War Information in 1945, Betty Crocker spent four months on the radio show Our Nation's Rations, aimed at helping listeners be creative and resourceful when it came to cooking with rationed foods. In parallel, there was a Betty Crocker pamphlet about the same thing called Your Share. Seven million copies of it were distributed. A second pamphlet, Through Highway to Good Nutrition, was recognized by the American Red Cross for contributing to the national interest.
2: Wow. That's big. Mm-hmm. So in 1951, the advent of televisions in Home Across the U.S. meant Washburn and Crosby needed to find someone to be the face and voice of Betty Crocker. They hired actress Adelaide Holloway for the role Betty Crocker showed up a handful of television programs at the time, including Betty Crocker television show and the Betty Crocker star matinee. There were illustrations previously. The first official portrait completed in 1936 was a composite of the faces of the women who worked in Washburn and Crosby's home service department by Nasa McMahon. It didn't change for two decades. the image has since been updated seven times to reflect current tastes in 1965 she was depicted as sort of a Jackie Kennedy-esque but in general she stayed pretty much the same a white woman with brown hair around the age of 32 wearing red and white a 1996 rendition by painter John Stuart Engel did image her with olive skin in an attempt to make her more inclusive he created this portrayal based on 75 images of women General Mills thought captured the spirit of Betty Crocker by observing the evolution of Betty Crocker, we can get an idea of the evolution of American women. Yeah. And especially how we we perceive them. From 1954
1: to 1977, high school seniors competed for scholarships around their skills in home ec, and the Betty Crocker search for the all-American homemaker of tomorrow. The Betty Crocker Monthly Recipe Magazine debuted in 1972 called Sphere, the Betty Crocker Magazine. I found an excellent archive of all of them. Wow. And people are still into this magazine. Yeah. They remember this recipe that was so good, and they try to find it on the archive. In the comment section, you can see people
2: helping each other out. Uh-oh. I bet just researching the levels of ingredients and recipes, yeah. I wonder how that has changed over time. Yes. Challenge. Fascinating stuff.
1: Let's do this. Oh, don't tempt me. <laughs> uh, the magazine opened with this quote As women were lucky to be alive right now, amid the universal tumult, it's more than ever a woman's world with 20th century reality located somewhere between the swooning vapors of Victorian forebears and the militant fervor of women's lib.
2: Wow, those are some really big extremes. So, seven. Can I be the swooning? Victorian? (laughs) Yes. Okay, cool, cool. So nowadays, she has a website full of recipes and advice. When the Betty Crocker iPad app, debuted in 2010, it was among the most popular free apps. Betty Crocker pamphlets are available in grocery stores still. Really? Yeah. Wow. In 2014, she got some media attention when the company started supplying same-sex wedding cakes in Minnesota, their home state. When gay marriage was legalized, the company gifted the first three gay couples married in Minnesota with gifts and a wedding cake. In the same year, her website launched 30 Cakes for 30 Days of Ramadan. The Middle East is the brand's second largest market. A 2016 update of her cookbook added an entire chapter for vegetarians and recipes like chicken tagine. It's also been translated into Spanish. Other books have been added to the enterprise as well, like Betty Crocker's Home Indian Cooking. 250 books with her name have been published. At General Mills headquarters in Minnesota, there's a Betty Crocker available for questions 24-7. So now if you go,
1: there will be a Betty Crocker. If you go looking for Betty Crocker, someone will be there.
2: Wait, so like do they just all change it out? I guess there's a shift.
1: Oh, per? there's shifts. Sure, sure, sure,
2: sure. I would hate to be on the night shift. I would love to interview someone yes. who's been Betty Crocker. Does anybody know anyone that's been Betty Crocker? Oh, please let us know. <laughs> we need to interview Betty Crocker. Oh, missed And then can we, have, can we have a 10-minute session where people send in questions? Yes. I would love to. Oh, I think it would be awesome. Yeah.
1: I have to say the story of Betty Crocker was a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be. It is very interesting. Um, And it's also a great, it just shows how we've changed and it's interesting to look at it through this character. And
2: it's kudos to them progressing over time. Yes. Well, we have some other
1: food characters to talk about, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor.
2: Because golden hour is more than just time, it's whenever you want to savor amazing. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more. That's KimCrawfordWines.com to find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For
1: those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be
2: boring, like banking.
1: Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. And we're back.
2: Thank you, sponsor. Oh, is it time for the sexy syrups?
1: Apparently, Samantha doesn't agree with my characterization of syrups, but I find most commercials depict them
2: as sexy. I see. All I think is sticky. And I don't like it.
1: Well, don't, I mean, uh-uh. not to get too into sex in this episode, but isn't that a thing? People put, like, honey or syrup in no. people's bodies don't and do that. lick it off? Ew. All right. All I can think of is, like, ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, we agree to disagree. Sexy syrup time. I'm not saying they are sexy. I'm just saying they're depicted as sexy. Fair. Yes. And so we're talking about Aunt Jemima, uh, this discussion around sexy syrup goes back to my question of why everyone, every character we're talking about is somehow related to pancakes and syrup. Didn't find the answer to that. But we're going to talk about, yes, Aunt Jemima. Um, she is the face of a line of pancake mixes and syrups. To get to the bottom of Aunt Jemima's history, we have to go back to 1890 and a former slave by the name of Nancy Green, then living in Chicago after being born into slavery in 1834 in Kentucky. The original creators of the mascot, Charles Rutt and Charles Underwood, came up with her look of an apron and bandana in 1889. They had just purchased Pearl Milling Company, and they were looking for something to someone to represent their new idea of a self-rising pancake flour uh, that only required water. And this is one of the first mixes available in the U.S., they drew inspiration for this character from a minstrel show that was popular at the time. And just a refresher, minstrel shows were a popular 19th century and later form of American entertainment in which white actors in blackface portrayed black people as lazy, stupid, easily frightened, and highly superstitious. A popular song of these minstrel shows was penned in 1875 by a black performer, Billy Curran's, and it was called Old Aunt Jemima. In minstrel shows, it was performed by people in blackface, and a white man portrayed Aunt Jemima as a slave on a southern plantation. He wore the look that they ended up going with. Mm
2: -hmm. The two original creators of Aunt Jemima's character in regards to selling a food product sold their company the same year they came up with her to R.T. Davis. He found Nancy Green and with her created the Aunt Jemima brand.
1: People were intensely curious about the true identity of Aunt Jemima, so much so that the police were called to control the crowd at the Aunt Jemima exhibit at the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition. Green served thousands of people that visited the exhibit pancakes, and people reportedly were so charmed by her kind demeanor that she was awarded for her show womanship at the exhibition. As a result of her extremely successful appearance there, the company received 50,000 orders for their pancake mix in the wake of it. They renamed their company to Aunt Jemima Mills Company in 1914, and they were so impressed with Green's performance, they offered her a lifetime position as their spokesperson as sales of their products continued to soar. However, that came to an abrupt end in 1923
2: when she lost her life in a car crash. The owner, R.T. Davis, was forced to sell the company to Quaker Oats due to financial issues soon after. Anna Robinson was tapped to be the new face of Aunt Jemima, a portrait now appearing on packages. She also appeared at at the 1933 World's Fair, which was followed by Chicago-based blues singer and actress Edith Wilson. She became the first person to appear as the character in commercials. And at this time, ads still included racial dialects like Issa. Former teacher and actress Ethel Ernestine Harper assumed the mantle after Wilson. After that, an advertising employee at Quaker Oaks named Rosie Hall took on this position. Once she died, her grave was deemed as a historical landmark. In 1955, Eileen Lewis made her first public appearance as the mascot of Aunt Jemima Restaurant in Disneyland. Anna Short Harrington also did a stint as Aunt Jemima at public events in the New York area. The Aunt Jemima radio show ran for, from 1930 to
1: 1942. Jemima was played by a white, blackface actress who portrayed Aunt Jemima in other formats. It was essentially a minstrel show for radio. As early as the 1950s, people were questioning the racist undertones of Aunt Jemima. The NAACP started strongly recommending that schools not invite Aunt Jemima to speak at them. Increased public scrutiny led Quaker Oats to cancel a television campaign in 1967, around the time we got the Civil Rights Mm -hmm. Act, and ditch her name from their Disneyland restaurant. The brand updated Aunt Jemima's image in 1989 in an effort to avoid criticisms of a mammy stereotype. Gone was the headscarf. traded out instead for a lace collar and pearl earrings, and her skin was lightened. She also gradually got thinner. Many historians argue that the mammy stereotype is a stereotype of something that never existed. Instead, it was a fiction cooked up by white Southerners to placate themselves around relationships between white men and enslaved black women. The mammy was sexually undesirable and not a threat to white women or social norms. Happy to serve the white man and played into the narrative that black women were happy to be enslaved.
2: According to Kimberly Wallace Sanders in her book, Mammy, A Century of Race, Gender, and Southern Memory, Aunt Jemima's success was predicted upon a fascinating interweaving of commerce, memory, and racial nostalgia that served as a vehicle of post-Civil War national consolidation. An African-American woman pretending to be a slave was pivotal to be the trademark's commercial achievement in 1893. Its success revolved around the fantasy of returning a black woman to a sanitized version of slavery. The Aunt Jemima character involved a regression of race relations, and her character helped usher in a prominent resurgence of the happy slave mythology of the antebellum South. This popular recreation of an African-American woman's life stood in direct opposition to the efforts of real African-American women struggling to publicly assert their citizenship. As a symbol of racial harmony, Aunt Jemima proved to be preferred version of African-American womanhood, and exaltation of slaveocracy nostalgia. Beginning in 1993, Gladys Knight appeared in ads for spokespersons for Quaker Oats, very briefly presented her as Aunt Jemima herself.
1: As of 2014, two of Harrington's great-grandsons were suing Aunt Jemima's parent company, Quaker Oats, for $2 billion for unpaid royalties and damages. Harrington played Aunt Jemima previously. According to them, their mother and Green... Nancy Green, were instrumental in developing the self-rising pancake mix. Even before she was Aunt Jemima, Harrington had a reputation for her delicious pancakes. One of Harrington's great-grandsons wrote in the suit, Aunt Jemima has become known as one of the most exploited and abused women in American history.
2: Yeah, it's really kind of gross. I was wondering how much they paid these women.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm sure it was not...
2: At all reasonable.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's a bit of a—that's a pretty dark history right. for that. Um, we do have a little bit more for you, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor.
0: Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring, with access to over 6 million active hourly workers—
2: Because golden hour is more than just time, it's whenever you want to savor amazing. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more. That's KimCrawfordWines.com to find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly.
1: Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank,
2: who believes some things in life should be boring
1: With Mrs. Butterworth, more syrup, more syrup. I'm telling you. So I didn't even consider her when I was originally planning who who to involve in this episode, right? But that the study we mentioned earlier, is finding Betty Crocker is the most recognized woman in the U- United States or whatever, Mrs. Butterworth was behind her,
2: which is interesting. I do, like as we're talking, I can see the picture of the children talking to the bottle. Yeah. That's what I'm seeing right now. But yeah, I do remember that commercial pretty distinctly. They have a
1: a whole wealth of commercials available uh, throughout the decades, Mm -hmm. if, if you would like to see them. So, yes, let's talk about her. She is now synonymous with a brand of box pancake mixes and syrups, although her most iconic iteration is as the shape of the pancake syrup bottles. That shape... Uh, A bottle in the shape of of Mrs. Butterworth, a woman, was patented in 1966. Mrs. Butterworth is unique in this sense. She is one of a few, if not the only, products shaped after their namesake. (laughs) 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 I couldn't really think of anybody else. All right. She's sort of grandmotherly in in her shape, a button-down dress with a collar, a wide skirt, her hair is up in a bun. I suppose the sweetness of syrup is sort of symbolic of the sweetness we assume women have. She
2: does cross her hands perfectly yeah.
1: into her lap almost. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, since ginger norms at the time placed women in charge of all things domestic, including the kitchen, she, in theory, if she was a real person, would know what she was talking about. These are the the speculations when I was really trying to get to the bottom of why.
2: Why? <laughs> why?
1: Just why. Just Why? Mrs. Butterworth's history is a bit murky. First off, when you search Mrs. Butterworth, one of the first suggested search terms is, is Mrs. Butterworth black? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Rumor has it she was originally modeled after actress Thelma Butterfly McQueen, who posed for the iconic bottle soon after she wrapped up filming as the Mammy character Prissy in Gone with the Wind. However, that doesn't really square with her first on-air appearance where actress Cliff Arquette as Charlie Weaver presented her as an older White woman actress Mary Kay Bergman went on to later provide the voice of Mrs. Butterworth, similarly in the style of an older white woman.
2: A lot of questions around racism and Mrs. Butterworth seems to stem from her proximity to and perhaps mimicry of Aunt Jemima. In 2009, Pinnacle Foods revealed Mrs. Butterworth's first name is Joy. Prior to the reveal, the company launched a contest encouraging people to guess the name. Two people won $500 for correctly guessing and a case of the syrup, of course. Mm -hmm. This is interesting because according to a brand manager, no one bothered to ask what the first name was until an employee's son asked. This could be because she's fictional or it could be because at least partly because the most important part of her identity is that she's Married, right. obviously. Right.
1: What else do you need to know? She's married. Her
2: worth is marriage, duh. Her worth
1: is butter. <laughs> <laughs> marriage. An onion headline from 2017 read Mike Pence asked waiter to remove Mrs. Butterworth from table until wife arrives, poking fun at his reluctance slash refusal to be alone with a woman other than his wife. Here is the article. It's really brief. Expressing concerns about the propriety of being left alone with a syrup container of the opposite sex, Vice President Mike Pence reportedly asked the waiter Thursday to remove Mrs. Butterworth from the table until his wife arrived to join him at a local diner. "'Excuse me, sir, would you please take this out of my line of sight until my wife gets here?' said Pence, who reportedly attempted to put the table sugar dispenser and salt and pepper shakers between him and the feminine syrup bottle, before deciding that even having Mrs. Butterworth within arm's reach could lead him to have impure thoughts." It just would not be right for me to sit here alone with a woman-shaped container, particularly one as shapely as this. In fact, I would advise you to do the same for the man sitting over there. see is sitting very close to Mrs. Butterworth, even though he appears to be wearing a wedding ring. At press time, Pence had asked the waiter to pour syrup on his pancakes for him, as it would be unseemly to handle the curves of the plastic woman in such a public place. Wait, isn't she like a bell shape? She is, but... One of the second most returned search items for me was what happened to Mrs. Butterworth's boobs, and there's a whole Reddit thread about didn't she used to have big boobs? What happened
2: to the boobs? I don't remember boobs. Most because I wasn't looking for them. Maybe yeah. I don't know. <laughs> most people seem to say they were at uh, the '80s uh, shape. Well, apparently, a commercial that came out in early 2019 depicted Colonel Sanders of KFC and Mrs. Butterworth, the life-sized bottle, what, flirting? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Mrs. Butterworth makes the first move, so I guess that's progress. <laughs> sure. She's, <laughs> sure. The, she's the one that's coming on to him. And they go in for a kiss, and the commercial ends, a cliffhanger none of us ever expected to have to contemplate. Ever. No. No. It cuts instead to a syrup-covered waffles, an ad for their fried chicken and waffles, and another example of the sexualization of food. Maybe, see? Maybe? See? Yeah, no. um <laughs> This was a sequel to the previous ad for the same product that depicted the two mascots recreating the scene from the end of Dirty Dancing.
1: Yes. And I happened to see that I wasn't looking for this ad. It happened to come up for me yeah. when I was watching a YouTube video today. And it's Ghost. It's the scene from Ghost. Oh, where they're doing the...
2: The clay thing. Uh And I think... But wait, is it Dirty Dancing or is it a clay thing? I think there's more than one. So they just really like Patrick Swayze. (laughs) That's yes. what you're trying to tell me. That could be true. I mean
1: <laughs> Well, I learned that they have a Nashville hot version of this now for limited time. So Of course.
2: I'm not gonna lie. That sounds delicious. Okay. <laughs> First and foremost. However, do I want it to be sexualized? No. I don't want to think about Colonel Sanders being sexual, neither do I want to think Mrs. Butterworth, you do you. I want to be oblivious. Are you oblivious. telling Mrs. Butterworth this I'm <laughs> telling her to do her live thing. Her, her best life. Do your thing. I'm just going to eat the chicken with some syrup. (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
1: It is really creepy. It reminds me of the the Burger King mascot. Because it's the life-size bottle.
2: Yeah, that's not okay. It's it's You already know how I feel about life-size things coming to life. Mm Mm-hmm inanimate objects coming to life. So this is not cool. This is Butterworth coming after Also, I can't even say the word syrup right. Syrup, (laughs) syrup. So this is a nightmare in itself. There's a lot of layers of terror (laughs)
1: happening. (laughs) Well, it was a successful ad, I would say, because we're talking about it, we remember it, but also, uh, I believe... I'm trying to forget it. You'll never forget it. Son of a... You'll never forget it. There actually wasn't that much out there on on Mrs. Butterworth. So if any listeners happen to have the lowdown on any of the the Again, don't send me pictures. Don't send me pictures of whatever you said earlier. I'll take pictures of Mrs. Butterworth.
2: Neither. Okay.
1: You don't want Dirty Santa? I don't want anything about Dirty Santa. Everything else is open. I will take it. Uh, We do have a pretty strong spam filter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And obviously there are a lot of other, other things we could have talked about. Uh, when it comes to to food mascots, female food mascots like um, the Land of Lakes, Wendy, Little Debbie, Morton Salt Girl, Chiquita Banana,
2: Sun Maiden from the Raisins,
1: the Green M M&M, and M, and now the Brown
2: M and M. Yeah. Well, did you know? Did I tell you ever tell you the story? Side note about the dude that I went on a couple of dates with, talking about knowing Little Debbie, the woman. Oh, really? Yeah, and how awful she so was. She's real. She's apparently real. Okay. Yeah. He could have lied, but I'm just saying. He told me the story. I was like, "Cool, cool, if cool." A listener of ours, I actually have no idea how old little
1: Debbie is. I don't well, <laughs> if any anybody has information on that, <laughs> we welcome that as well. And if food things are of interest to you, as always, you can hear hear more of of me nerding out about food over on the Savor Podcast. But if you would like to contact this podcast, what? Yes, you can. You can email us at Stuff Media stuff at iHeartMedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast Podcast or on Instagram at Stuff i Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Have a silky day. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I'm Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.